from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio, and we're powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, Career Director for the Wharton MBA Program for Executives right here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter, and we have Dream Team in studio, Michelle and Dion, who are taking your calls right now. At 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Hey, if it is Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are live, and we'd love to hear from you at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, hey, if you are not a fan of large networking events or meeting new people at crowded conferences or parties, this week's episode of Career Talk is designed especially for you. Today's guest is going to share research back to networking strategies that work and don't require you suiting up and heading into a room full of strangers. So today we're welcoming David Burkus, who is a best-selling author and associate professor of leadership and innovation at Oral Roberts University. His new book, Friend of a Friend, offers readers a new perspective on how to grow their networks and build key connections based on the science of human behavior. A regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, we're very excited to welcome David to Career Talk to chat about one of my very favorite topics, networking. Welcome, David. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I, I suspect you and I might be the only two people who think it's one of their favorite topics. Well, yeah, yeah, no, maybe there might be a few others. We'll have to start a club or something. But um, but I'm guessing that's what inspired you, though, to write this book, because we know the power of networking, whether you're looking for a new job or you're trying to sell business or get new clients. I mean, everybody knows the research out there about how powerful this is. But yeah, everybody kind of dreads it. So, so tell us why you wrote this book and specifically what makes it different, David. Yes. I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think we all know, I mean, I can recite trite phrases like your network is your net worth and those sort of things, but we know that. What we also know is that we feel um, icky is probably the best term to use when we actually go to that event or try and meet that new person, et cetera. And so, you know, for me, I was looking at the landscape of networking books, and I, I categorize almost everyone out there as a networking advice book, meaning it's one person's advice um, or maybe two people's advice on how they built their network. And advice is great, but advice is autobiographical. When you take someone's advice and you go to that event and you try and put it to practice, you feel inauthentic. Well, no wonder you feel inauthentic. You're trying to be that other person in that moment. So, of course, you're going to feel that way. So I tried to take a little bit different approach, which is to look over the last you know, 50 to 60 years of network science research and say what is universally true about all networks, including the one you're in. And, and that's probably the biggest mindset shift is that you don't have a network, you don't grow a network, you already exist inside a network, and your best strategy is to figure out that and understand the network around you and act accordingly. Yeah, and I've read your book, which I loved, by the way, not only because it was on one of my favorite topics, but because it, it does offer a very different perspective from a lot of other books out there. And I'm, I'm a little bit of a science geek, so I like that you included a lot of the research all the way back from the, the 70s with Granovetter and all the way up to kind of current things. And you talked about six degrees of separation and all this stuff. But I think the biggest takeaway is exactly what you just said, is that, that we already exist in this network and it's really just about uh, connecting to it. So it's not about doing something that that maybe seems monumental, um, although it can feel that way. So I, I do want to talk about that and I have to laugh because um, <laughs> in your in your science backed research, there's so many words that that come up that I wanted to define today that you and I were kind of joking about earlier in the week. And um I kind of wrote. I kind of wrote a question using all of them because I thought it was funny um, that that today we're going to talk about what clusters are and how we can can balance these by being brokers and closing structural holes, which leads to preferential <laughs> attachment. So that's what I took away from your book. 
that is my summary. I'm like, what? Wow. We just we just raised the SAT score of yeah. everyone listening, right? Those are those are totally like SAT vocab words. <laughs> I mean, you've got some you've got some great words in here, but I mean, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but I mean, these things all mean something, and that's kind of what I want to break down today because, um, yeah, okay, they're words that maybe some people haven't heard, or, or you know, they're words we use in research studies to make it sound more scientific, but they're actually actually pretty basic principles that anybody can can put into practice today. And that's what I love about your book is that at the end of each chapter, you really help people take an action step to to close structural holes or how to become a broker or all these things. And that's really what I want to talk about today. So, hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to Career Talk, Sirius XM, Channel 111. We're taking your calls right now, 844-WHARTON, 844 9427866 and we are talking to David Burkus, author of the new book A Friend of a Friend which is all about networking, homophily, transitivity, structural holes and a whole bunch of other big words that we're going to break down but um, we already have a caller so we're going to go to Eric in New York. So Eric, welcome to the show. It's on your mind today. Thank you. Um I recently uh discovered that I'm going to be moving away from my current employer. Um, I have some time. I'm not really able to divulge some of the package uh, for this separation, but I'm trying to figure out what are the actionable steps. Um, I have a few months to figure out what I'm going to do next. So, so right Eric- now I'm looking into my network. I have some target companies that I'm looking at. I have two people who work at, some two friends that work there at a target company that I'm looking at, but what are some of the more concrete, actionable things I need to be doing day in, day out to put myself in the best position uh, before the rush of uh, applicants looking out for these jobs. Yeah, so good call. So good for you, Eric, for planning ahead. Um, So it sounds like you're going to be making a move. How much time do you have? You said you're not in a huge rush, but give us a time frame. Um, About three months. Perfect. So about three months. And can you tell us what, what you do, Eric? Um, I work in finance um, on the consulting side. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're in finance on the, and you're looking to, you know, you're going to make a move in about three months and you're looking to kind of build a network. You already have done a big part of it, it sounds like, Eric, which is identify the companies that you're interested in. And, and now you're starting to identify those people inside those companies. So I think you're on a great start. David, what advice do you have for Eric? Yeah, so I would I would put my and like you said, I you're absolutely on the right track that you get that like okay, this is something I got to start thinking about now, even if I have a, a little bit of runway. I, I would put um, sort of two pieces of advice forward. It sounds like one you're already doing, so it's just going to be a little bit of a tweak, which is you know you've identified the companies you want to work for, and you've identified people that you know who work um, in them. But I'm willing to bet there are more people who work in those companies and industries that you are one degree of separation out from. So I I would encourage you in a lot of conversations moving forward to less about the companies and more the industries that they represent. So if you want to stay in finance and and consulting in those industries and say, you know, to to a lot of people, who do you know in, I usually say in blank, with blank being the industry that you want to get in. In your case, who do you know in finance, in the area, et cetera. And you'll probably find that your existing connections have other folks they thought of that they haven't pro-offered to you yet um, that they would then offer. Especially valuable is when you hear the same name uh, or the same company name mentioned multiple times because then you know, okay, I have a couple different ins here and I can put a, you know, a bug in multiple different people's ear uh, about that. So I would, I would start there and kind of explore. I call it exploring the fringes of your network. You're, you're brilliant in that you've already figured out a couple routes in, but I bet there's a few more if we search that out. And then the other thing I would be doing for over the next three months is really reaching back out to, in the book, we call them weak ties or dormant ties. And, you know, um, Don had already mentioned a, a study from Mark Granovetter, one of the original social network studies that weak ties were um, a better source of job leads than close connections and, and total strangers. But the truth is they're a better source of all sorts of information. So I would really start to kind of systematically re-engage those conversations. And I, this is actually one area where I really still do use social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera. I don't broadcast what I need, but I look 
at what other people are, are posting about themselves, and I use that as a jumping-off point to send them an email. They congratulate them if they're talking about something you know new or, or, or just whatever they commented on. I'll, I'll offer a little bit personal, more personal medium, so uh, an email, a phone call, a text message. I'll use that as a springboard, and then I'll invite them into a conversation to catch up um, you know, between the two of us. And I might mention that I'm looking for new work, but really that's not the goal. The goal is to re-engage that weak tie and just see what information comes from it. Yeah, and, and I'm going to tag on to that because I want to delve into dormant ties a little bit more deeply, Eric, because I think this is a, a very overlooked but phenomenal place to network. And as we were talking about a few minutes ago, these networks already exist. So these could be people who you went to school with or who, who maybe your college roommate or people you worked with in companies that you were very close with but maybe lost ties with. But essentially, you have a relationship. You've built trust. And it's just a matter of rekindling that, which can be super powerful because you're not starting from scratch. You're just reaching out to these people and and, and reconnecting. So what I love in your book, David, is you talk about making kind of a habit about this, like, you know, looking at maybe your old emails or your, you know, your old phone books or whatever you used or to track these things and to actually make a point of reaching out to these people and just checking in whether you need a job or not. It's just a great way to build your network. And the benefit you have, Eric, is that you're not in a super rush. So it's not like you're you're out of work right now and unemployed and, and kind of needing it right now. It could just be that you reach out to these people. Hey, it's summer. What's going on? It's been a while. Haven't talked to you. What are you up to? Because all of these dormant ties, since you've last seen them 5, 10, 15 years ago, have gone on to create their own network circles. So people who are would be new to you, new information, all of this new stuff that because you've built that trust 10 years ago, you can tap into now as you reconnect. So I love that you brought that up, David. And, and Eric, I think that's a great place for you to um, to explore as well. Thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, so I love the idea of dormant ties. And that's something that everybody listening can just do today. Take a list uh, or write a list, 10 people you haven't connected with, and just shoot an email or send a, a greeting card or connect via LinkedIn if you're not connected with them, LinkedIn, and just do that. But let's talk about what is a structural hole, David? <laughs> so this is, a, this is a really interesting concept from the world of, of network science. So people, um, so networks are not purely egalitarian where everyone is connected to everybody. If you, if you draw out a network of a, an industry, like we could say finance or of a city or what have you, it doesn't look like a piece of graph paper, right? There's nooks and there's crannies. And in, in those uh, spaces, in the, in the spaces in between different clusters as people gravitate towards people in similar industries or similar, um, similar mindsets, et cetera, you create these gaps. I almost like to think of it now as if you think about space, right? There's, there's planets that are attracting um, mass, and then there's space in between them. That's the structural hole, right? And so in a network, there are these natural spaces between clusters. And it, it turns out that while we need to get kind of embedded into the cluster and the community in our industry, et cetera, because we can't just be on the fringes, the people who provide the most value for networks are the people that bridge over those structural holes and connect two clusters together. So you know, in an organization, these are the people that are tearing down silos and building connections between you know, sales and legal, a, a community, a two communities that don't really get along all that often, right? Or, or finance and marketing or, or what have you. These are the people that, uh, in one study, they actually used the term the organizational misfits, the people that kind of bounce around. And, but they create these connections that allow for a better information flow. And even in you know, the broader sense of, of clusters as whole industries, the people who are able to come up with ideas or business models or creative works that span multiple industries end up coming up with far more valuable ideas because they built a bridge that more people can trade information on. And that value then spills over onto that person or that group of people that are able to act as that broker. Hey, do you have a networking question or tip? We'd love to hear from you on Career Talk, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with David Burkus, who is the author of the new book, Friend of a Friend. And if you are not a fan of those large networking events or crowded conferences or parties, you're going to want to stay tuned in because we're going to be talking about lots of other ways to build your network that work and are research-backed. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So I, I want to kind of get to pull out of what you just said, David, tip number two, which is 
to look around your organization and, and, you know, they are very siloed. I mean, working in a university, this is probably one of the most siloed places that you can work in terms of the structure. And it's very rare that there's this cross-departmental um, collaboration going on, but you can create that whether you're in a silo in your company or not. You know, you just reach out and you, ha- you say, hey, I want to um, have lunch with somebody in HR or finance or sales and start to meet people. Or you sit next to different people at the the town hall meeting or, you know, you go to events that are maybe for people outside of your department if you're invited or if you can you can score a ticket because this is how you get to to build those those clusters in different places and close those structural holes just to use the the scientific language. But I mean, it's really something that can go a long way. One of the things I did um, years back in a company is that what we needed to interact frequently with HR. And so what we started doing is having cookie parties and we'd invite them to come have cookies because who doesn't like cookies? And you start building relationships and then you start branching out to other departments and you start to meet people and you start to realize how many individuals in the organization share commonalities or can introduce you to others or to just get reports faster or do these things. So I think this is a very important concept that doesn't require you going to a conference. So how else can people do this, David? So I love the cookie party idea because I actually make a joke often that sometimes organizations are so siloed that you only see people from other departments when there's cake in the break room. And so you, Make you cake! Literally, <laughs> you, literally, you literally hit on basically, I mean, baked goods, but yeah, I mean, it obviously depends on where you are in your career, right? If you're, if you're younger, one of the strategies that I actually really love to tell people to do is to ask if you can sit on, in on a meeting with another department and, just, and say, hey, you know what, I'll volunteer to take notes. Right? And you, you take notes and you just say, I want to learn a bit more about this function, how it serves the rest of the thing. Can I sit in and, t- and take notes for everybody you know, on this meeting just so I can kind of move into that realm? If you're a little more mid-stage, you might have to be a little bit more deliberate and send that kind of open invitation. Could we grab lunch? Could we grab coffee? Um, etc. And then, I, I, you know, obviously later, this is something that you might have the authority to plan different meetups. I mean, cookie, I, and no one is, uh, no one lacks the authority in an organization to throw a cookie party. So I love that idea. Um, but as you move up sort of higher in the organization and you have more authority, you can be even more deliberate and say, we're going to deliberately structure these things. In fact, some of the companies that I look at that are the most effective at kind of building these structural holes, it's actually stuff that's simple, but you need like purchasing power for it. So for example, they'll throw out like the two top and four top tables and the tables in the break rooms and lunch rooms will be long tables that encourage people to sit with more than just the two people they came with, right? Mm-hmm. Little things like that can actually be a really powerful factor for encouraging encouraging, subtly encouraging people to get to know each other a bit more. Yeah, and I think, like we're talking about, you don't have to to be at a huge networking event. And one of the things that has become so critical, and I know you bring this up in your book, David, is social capital. It used to be that, okay, perform well, show up, do a good job, get good performance reviews, and, you know, your career will sort of take off from there. But it's not enough anymore. You do need this social capital. You need to know people so that people can, when they're making decisions about your career and you're not in the room, they need to understand that, that you're available and what you can do and, and that you do show up so it's not enough. How, so this is one of the ways you build that social capital inside your organization. And, you know, if you are going through a layoff or something of that nature, you know, you want to be top of mind when they're making decisions about who stays and who goes. And this is one of the ways you do it is you really get to know people across the organization, um, which brings me to another another term in the book that I like, which is broker. What is a broker, David? So a broker is someone who spans that structural hole. They're the one that builds the bridge. They're the person that actually takes it upon themselves to connect those two different clusters. And you know, what I think is probably most interesting about brokers, Ronald Burt's research suggests this, that there's, bro- brokers are important because they keep the whole kind of um, network connected to each other, but there's not a lot of social capital value being just knowing who the broker is. It only really spills over if you are that person. So in other words, the fact that there's someone in your department that links you to the HR department um, that's good, but that's not going to affect your career. You're not going to build your own social capital just because they built that bridge. You have to be the broker in order to get the social capital effect. So you have a very cool exercise in the book that I actually did. And um, I, I have to say, I was like, uh, I did not do well on your exercise. <laughs> I, have, I have a little work to do to to enhance my, my, my broker side. But can you share that with listeners? Because I think it's a really great way to, to um, you know, understand where you can close your gaps as somebody who's trying to build a network? 
Yeah, no, totally. And it's, it's essentially kind of an audit um, activity. It's not, it, it's going to tell you what you need to know. And in the true spirit of broker, I have to say that I adapted it from my good friend, Brian Uzi, who's a network science researcher. And one of the people I'm, I mean, the book is me trying to be a broker between the networking advice community and the, and the researchers. And, you know, basically it looks like this. You, you take a, a sheet of paper and you, you draw three lines or, or create three columns. If you, if you're nerdy like me and you want to use Excel instead, you just use three columns in Excel. And on the, on the leftmost column, you know, the far left, list about 10, uh, you know, a dozen to half a dozen, or a dozen to two dozen people, so like 10 to 25, 12 to 24, whatever, um, that have been the most influential in your career. So the people you talk to the most, the people that have provided you job leads, the people that give you counsel, your mentors if you have them, et cetera, um, the people that are super vital for whatever project you're working on, list all of those people. And then in the middle column, list the name of who connected you to that person. If, there, if there's no one that connected you, you just met them because of job function, et cetera, leave it blank. But I suspect that most of those people, you might be able to think back and go, okay, I, and I met this person through this other person. And then on the far right column, now we're going to do another list, which is who did you introduce that person to, right? So, so you have this one person, you're looking at who introduced you to them and who else you introduced them to. And this is where you start to figure out, am I more on the receiving end of other brokers, meaning there's a lot of names in that middle column? Or am I a broker? Am I someone that's trying to get more people connected, meaning there's a lot of names on that rightmost column. So Don, it sounds like your middle column was very full and you realize you've got some work to do introducing those influential people to other influential people in your life. Okay, well I'm going to be I'm going to be drop dead honest because <laughs> I talk about networking a lot and I like to think that I make a lifestyle of networking that I'm I'm constantly talking to people and trying to build my network. But uh, here's what I learned, you know, even just coming up with that list of 10 to 25 people I'm like, wow, this this should just flow out of my mind. <laughs> like, and it doesn't. And, you know, that just could be because I did it in the morning before I had coffee. But, um, you know, that even in and of itself is pretty telling because I'm trying to think about and, – and I was probably overthinking it because I'm like, let me think about people who don't know each other and are from different circles. And I know that wasn't oh, you're part trying of to, You're trying to stack the deck. I'm I was. I was trying to stack the deck. I was cheating. I didn't mean to cheat. I, <laughs> Yeah. No, I didn't do stream of consciousness. I don't know that I ever do stream of consciousness. My mind is always going like 100 miles an hour. But but yeah, but I think that's a really good first step. If you have trouble coming up with that 10 to 20 list, that's a good sign that you need to start branching out and networking more. But then, yes, of course, the the broker side. And I realized a lot of the people I met was through work and through jobs. And, um, you know, again, that's not a bad thing, but it, it goes to show that I need to be branching out and getting outside of those circles a little bit more. And then, of course, the broker thing, you know, who am I introducing to one another? And um, I definitely had a lot of work to do on that end. So I will I will say even as somebody who lives, breathes and, you know, dreams networking, I, I found that exercise to be super helpful because it really helped me identify my gaps. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to Career Talk. Sirius XM channel 111. We're here with David Burkus, who is the author of Friend of a Friend. And we're talking about one of my favorite topics, networking. And we're talking about how to close structural holes by being a broker, which leads to preferential attachment. 844-Wharton, 844-942-7866. Hey, we want to hear from you. I'm putting my networking fails out there. We want to hear yours too, or your networking successes, which would be even better. 844 Wharton 844-942-7866, which I like. Preferential attachment is actually a great thing because it means that that once – it sounds to me like when I was reading about it, David, that once you kind of hit a certain level, like networking becomes really easy because you're you're just getting introduced constantly and you're kind of just in this pool of I don't really have to work at it anymore because everybody's just introducing me and I'm introducing people and it's sort of this heavenly flow that's just going on in your life. I, I'm heavenly flow. That's a good term. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 um it, it's a bit of good news and bad news. And, and by the way, we definitely do want to hear the networking fails. And after after we do the bottom of the hour, when we come back, I'll share my my biggest networking fail. Oh, so fantastic! We'll, 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 we'll equal it out. But <laughs> what preferential attachment really is is, is it's, it's like a Matthew effect. It's like a flywheel effect. There are people out there in the in the literature we call them super connectors who have a disproportionate number of connections. And over time, what preferential attachment says is that new people who enter the network, whether that's the company, the industry, whatever, you, you have a higher chance of being introduced to the people that already are well-connected. So over time, it really does get 
easier. And it's why people in the book, like I, I profile this uh, friend of mine, Jason Gaynard, who is an amazing networker, has a massive network. And he even has the gall to say that the key is subtraction, not addition. Well, it's easy for him to say that he's connected to like 12,000 people, right? For the rest of us, though, we look at people like that and we go, oh, networking comes so easy to them. It's so hard to me. Well, preferential attachment is the explanation for that. There's a compounding interest effect that those people are taking advantage because they've been at it longer. The good news is that you can too. So any effort that you put in now will compound over time if you just keep at it and you'll eventually find yourself on the receiving end of that preferential attachment. So one of the things that people you know, always say to me is that, you know, okay, I'm doing the networking, I'm getting out there, I meet people, I talk to people, I connect with them on LinkedIn. Maybe we even meet for coffee or have a phone conversation. However, that's where it ends. So how do I keep that momentum going? Yeah. So, I mean, a couple different things. So this actually ties into something you were saying earlier, which is that if we're defining networking just as meeting people, we're missing out on, on some opportunities. So one of the things I found that's the most useful, even for a new connection, is to really challenge myself to go, okay, who else in the network can I introduce them to? Because if I bring them in and I connect them to two or three other people that are already connected to me, it increases the likelihood that I'm going to have a future interaction with them. It's also just the nice thing to do because if that person can help them and they can help that person. It's, it's just being a good human being. But it also kind of increases that frequency of interaction. And then the other thing I try and do is kind of what we were talking with the, the caller about, which is making a habit of paying attention to what information they're broadcasting and then from time to time using that as the reason to reach back out to them. Yeah, which, which means taking notes and being diligent. And I, I love LinkedIn for that because LinkedIn is a permanent record of emails you send and back and forth communication. So if you forget and you're communicating on LinkedIn, you could just go back and look at your email scroll and say, oh, okay, we talked about they were going to Tahiti or they just had their second baby or whatever the situation is. And you can kind of track that. But if you're not using that, it's it's a matter of tracking and remembering because people people really connect when you when you remember that stuff. So I do think that's very, very important. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk. We're here with David Burkus, friend of a friend, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, we're taking your calls live right now, and we're going to go to Jennifer in Vermont. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm an incredible networker, and I'm always, you know, I can meet anyone at any time under any circumstances, um, because I just assume we have something in common. It's just, what is that going to be? And now, I want to call in the favors of all the people that I have. What's the favor you want to call in, Jennifer? Jennifer? Well, Jennifer's on his cell phone, so <laughs> don't leave us hanging, Jennifer. Call back and <laughs> let us know what this favor is, because... Um, you know, plus we want to be connected to your network because it sounds awesome. I know, right? I kind of, yeah, I, I want to get to know Jennifer more. <laughs> and we lost her. So 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So now might be a good time to go to our pre-break quiz. And there's always a quiz. There's a quiz? Okay, so according to an article published in the Leadership Quarterly, unleashing your anger in this harmless yet slightly obscure way leads to a better mood, improved cognition, and reduced aggression specifically towards your boss. (laughs) So unleashing your anger in this harmless yet obscure way leads to improved mood, cognition, and reduced aggression specifically towards your boss. If you think you know the answer to this quiz, 844-WHARTON-844. 942-7866. 942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM, Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. Welcome back to Career Talk, Sirius XM, Channel 111, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with David Burkus, who is best-selling author and associate professor of leadership and innovation at Oral Roberts University. And we're talking all about his new book, Friend of a Friend. And David, where can people reach you if they'd like more information? 
So uh, probably the absolute best place would be davidberkus.com. I mean, we're, we're chatting during this thing, also chatting on Twitter at, at davidberkus, but the website's probably the best one, davidberkus.com. And then from there, you can connect with us however, and you can even jump into Don and I's Twitter conversation. Yes, and it's B-U-R-K-U-S. Oh, yeah, no, that's a good point. People probably, it's a weird name. <laughs> it's I it's not it. weird. It's just spelled weird. Yeah, oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Career Talk Series XM. And we're taking your calls right now at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're going to go to Linda in Florida. Welcome to the show, Linda. What's on your mind today? Hi, thank you. You're discussing networking and that I represent a home here within four counties, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, and Orlando. So I do do a lot of networking. Um, What I have found, two things. One, Sometimes when you do refer others to somebody else as in a large group or an individual that you believe that could help them, you may be getting you may be lost in the translation. For example, hi, this is this person, this will work with you and you may not hear about them together again until something comes up, could be a year, two years, a month, a week. Oh yeah, we've been working together for such a long time. So sometimes keeping your finger on the pulse is very important catching back, calling them up, how did it work, how can I help, number one. Number two, I know that I believe that networking with men and women are totally different. Yes, I've created a women's networking called Women in Networking No with a K-N-O-W. Why? Because a woman sits down, has lunch, listens to a program. Now she's aware of Somebody's got to go pick up a kid from school next to you. Could be a president of a major corporation. Could be anything. But that's how women network with each other. So the conversation starts. The conversation says, oh, my God, can you believe what I made for dinner? Oh, what is it you do? I, I create business development, for my case, a home care company. Oh, really? Well, I have a friend. Oh, now you're my nut, my best friend because we sat together and we've spoken for a period of time. Let me refer you. And that's how women network. Men, they come right to the point. And it's just a total different way. And I've been doing this. I created this program eight years ago, and it's still growing. Now we have two of them, um, but one in Plantation, Florida, and one in Hallandale within restaurants because I believe food is a common denominator with everybody. Yeah, we were just talking about food, Linda. It's it's interesting you brought that up, but I do want to tag into the men and women um, network differently because there is a lot of research on on that topic. And we've had Ivan Meisner on the show, who's the founder of BNI, Business Networking International, and he's he's written a book on this. So I think it's it's something great that you bring up because, um, you know, women networking together, you gave some good examples, but, but where it tends to fall down, and this is some of the research from his book is that, you know, in a networking event, a large networking event, for example, um, you know, men tend to be very transactional and kind of go right in for the sale or right in for what the ask is. And then women tend to go and, as you pointed out, Linda, be more conversational and sometimes, unfortunately, never get to the ask because you're talking about so many other things. But the, the good thing is you're building the relationship. And like you said, you're finding commonalities and you're finding things where you can connect um, but if you don't get to that ask part, then you're not really getting to to the end. David, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, you know, I'm thinking about Linda's description and her situation, and my mind goes to another um, SAT vocab word: multiplexity. This idea that humans are, are multifaceted creatures, and when you only have a context for connecting that's just work-related. You do the so what do you do's, and then you go right to the sale like she was talking about. That's actually a weaker connection than if you're exploring sort of multiple possible angles and eventually you arrive at it. So, you know, I'll, I'll go outright and say that I, in my opinion, and based on the research of multiplexity, women are better networkers than, than men. And I actually think introverts are better networkers than extroverts because they are, care more about that smaller um, in-depth conversation of getting to know the person as the totality of the person. Um, the, I mean, the differences in networking also create a problem when one gender has more of the power, which is a huge uphill battle that we've been working on for a number of decades. But I have, I have faith that, I, and I think Linda's probably found this in her networking groups, that I, I actually think because of multiplexity and exploring people from multiple angles and multiple positions and multiple reasons to connect, I think women are actually kind of better at it, at least at the human aspect of networking. 
than men are. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there, David. Hey, Linda, thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk and sharing this. And even more so, thank you for doing what you're doing and going out there and and being a super connector, closing structural holes, building clusters, and um, all the things that, that David has been sharing in his book, Friend of a Friend, and on the show today. We really appreciate you giving us a call and sharing that. But keep doing what you're doing, building those networks, Linda. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And of course, David, I was kidding about women are better networkers, but not really. No, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not kidding either. I really think the, the, the most frustrating thing to me is actually the other one when you hear people say like, oh, well, I don't really like networking because I'm an introvert. And I'm thinking, well, that's because you're defining networking as going to that really that big meeting that everyone hates going to. If we're defining it as getting to know the people that are around us and getting to know new people as the sort of full human aspect, they're kind of better at it than the extroverts are, even though we think the one who knows how to work the room is the better networker. Well, and I want to I want to kind of take that and transition into tips because today we're talking about a very cool topic, which is networking not in these large events or these large crowded rooms and, and parties. And I want to really talk about tips for the rest of the show, like how can you um, you know network successfully. We've talked about dormant ties, so reaching out to those people who you had a great relationship with at one point and rekindling those. We've talked about becoming a broker, so introducing your your contacts in one side to another side, which is something that we can all get better at doing. And I actually did something very similar to that, um, which was kind of cool and, again, doesn't revolve around a big networking event. But I I did something. I did uh, a fun thing this week. I had a Jeffersonian dinner. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's it's where kind of other people – invite a handful of people you know and they each bring somebody who you don't know and doesn't know other people and you know we had this great discussion sitting around having food but it was a great way to kind of meet other people in you know very low-key setting I just did it at my house and I you know I wound up meeting some some very cool people through this process and what what cracks me up is that one of the women there instead of asking you know as as she came in what do you do she asked this fantastic question which was what what is your ideal sandwich (laughs) and I was like wow okay I've never been asked that before and so everybody starts describing in detail in extreme detail their their ideal sandwich and what what would be on it and would it be toasted and would there be condiments and all this stuff but it was such a great way to get to know people and you know well why would it be toasted and why wouldn't it and why don't you like this and and I, I think what I took away from that is is that we really do need to get away from these conversations about the weather or that that first question which is always what do you do or where do you work because sure you get you get a snapshot of somebody but you don't really get into into their soul or into something deeper and it doesn't have to be an intimate question I mean a sandwich is not that intimate but I was like wow this is a really great opening question I know so what do you think David yeah so I mean first of all I think uh Jim's on South Street with uh onions and cheese whiz but Ah. But, you know, you got to get general, deeper than that, though. Well, you know, yeah, why no. onions? And, and, you know, what <laughs> would you have cheese whiz on it? You have well, to first get... of all, the thing was designed for whiz. I mean, it's just it just spreads <laughs> better. It's, and, anyway, um, no, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. I, I think, you know, if, if multiplexity is true and getting to know people um, from multiple facets is important, then, you know, I think most of us, like, here, here's my thing. I think people can safely abandon the so what do you do question because at least in North America and particularly in the United States we're kind of so work focused the conversation is going to get back there anyway even for the other person so you can deliberately ask a question that gets to know them uh, a bit deeper I, I don't I've never done the sandwich one that one's pretty good but I like to ask people you know what what excites you what in the last three months has been most exciting for you which can be a work answer but it can also be a family answer or a hobby answer or, or what have you um, I'll ask um, where did you grow up I think it's I think it's a little bit more diplomatic question than where are you from that can be taken the wrong way a lot of times but where did you grow up tell me about your family etc um, I actually and maybe this is a guy thing I ask the superhero question a lot who's your favorite superhero which is kind of like sandwich you can kind of extrapolate out a lot from people based on the superhero they resonate the most hmm. with um, but really sort of any of those questions as you're getting to know someone, I think they serve you better than so what do you do? And the, the thing that I often remind people is like you're already in a work context and work represents one facet of the totality of you as a human being and one facet of the other person. So what's the likelihood that you're going to connect based on that versus connect based on one of the myriad of other facets about your life? It's probably pretty low. So it's better to kind of take a broad approach. Humans are multifaceted, and so it's better to be multifascinated with them. 
Yeah, and I think I think you know the, the takeaway is that whether it's a sandwich or a superhero is is find that question, just find that question that makes you different. It also makes you stand out. It makes you more memorable. You know, oh yeah, you're the person who asked the question about the superhero, and and I think that's a big part of networking is is kind of being unique and and yourself and and having something that people can remember. And I, you know, to tag on to this, one of the things that I've learned, and I'm still not great at it, but I'm trying to do is to to always have a good answer to what's new because sometimes. Sometimes you see people maybe once a quarter, every you know couple of months, or and what's new, and to have a really good answer to that about you know that helps you promote your brand and it helps you start a conversation. And most of the time, when somebody asks me that, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's warmer, and we go back to the weather or we go back to you know our job, and sometimes that's okay. But but getting prepared for those conversations and having that in your pocket, something that you can share that you can maybe relate to and have a deeper conversation. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, Dion, who's your who's your favorite superhero? I'm going Batman. Batman, why? Because Batman's a regular dude. Like, he doesn't have superpowers. He's just, like, a regular dude that's got a lot of money, and he, and he, and he wants to get back at, at all the bad guys. Mm-hmm. All right, so... so We've got to take, take it deeper, though. Which Batman? Ooh. 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 Wow. I can't do Christian Bale because that the the voice just takes me out of it. Mm. Um, I'm going Adam West. I'm, I'm going old school. Ooh, Adam, Adam West. I'm going, Adam West is close. It's not the right answer. The, the right answer is Will Arnett. Lego Batman. Oh, there's a right answer. See, see, if, if you had told Dion, we knew he wouldn't have the right answer. We know that. Well, of course. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a right answer. Michelle, who's your superhero? Um, my favorite superhero is Iron Man. Ooh. Who is basically Marvel's Batman. I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, except, yeah, so he's super Stealing rich. my answers again. No, but he's also <laughs> super smart, and I like that. I think he's smarter than Batman. Right. I mean that might that might be true. That might be true. But Iron Man told everybody who he was. Batman still has a secret identity. That might be the smartest move of all. Yeah, you're right oh, about man. that. We didn't. Do you have a book on superheroes, David? <laughs> we didn't realize you were such an expert. An expert. So, David, no, who's I yours? Just have a six-year-old and a four-year-old are uh, both boys. So okay. I know a lot about superheroes right now. <laughs> okay. Who's yours, David? No, mine is mine is actually Batman. It's definitely Batman. I and, and I actually try very hard to encourage both of my boys to have their favorite superhero be Batman. But my older son's is Flash. Uh, for some reason, he just loves running and loves the idea that fast is the Flash is the fastest. Even though I'm pretty sure at the end of Justice League, Flash and Superman tie. Oh well, you know, so that he's still yeah. he's you know. Tied for number one. That's still pretty good. Yeah, no, that's still pretty good. And, you know, he's a little too young to watch Justice League. So I've got some time before he finds out it's not the right one. <laughs> You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM, although we are talking about superheroes. <laughs> it is all related to networking and how to build a relationship with somebody. If you got a question, Thursday noon Eastern, we're taking your calls right now at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or you can follow me or ask a question on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. Or you can follow David at David Burkus, B-U-R-K-U-S. So we're talking about tips right now for how you can connect outside of, you know, going to large events or crowded conferences. And one of the things in the book that you wrote about, which I like, is just the idea of being curious, the idea of just having a conversation, talking to somebody next to you, talking to somebody you don't know. And I'm I'm curious, um, (laughs) that was was kind of... Unplanned. That was kind of very punny. Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended. I'm curious, how has technology changed this? Because I feel like we don't connect as much because we're always on our phones. Well, I think you know the the irony with technology is it's never been easier to do the initial reach out, and then it's never been harder to continue to pay attention to that person after you do the reach out, right? So it's it's never been kind of easier to keep track of more and more connections, et cetera. But that depth of relationship um, is, is really the harder part, and I think that's where. Um, I mean, there's a whole lot of disciplines around, like I'll, I have uh, some friends that when we do dinner, we do the phone stacking trick where you stack your phones face down and then whoever uh, ends up uh, looking at their phone first has to pay, right? Um, but it's all, I mean, it, it, nothing's good or bad, thinking makes it so, right? I think that was Hamlet, but I'm not sure. It might have been The Lion King. They're kind of the same movie. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Shakespeare. So but... <laughs> it, it, it's, re- it's really about how you use um, the, the technology to me. I think, again, it's a super useful thing for doing that reach out, but you've got to make sure that when you are 
when you are with that person, especially in a one-on-one situation or at something like a Jeffersonian dinner, et cetera, that I think that's when it's time to take a technology-free zone and really focus in on that person. We're, we're so focused, especially in a social media world, with being interesting to people. And the number one way to be interesting and fascinating to someone else is to be interested in them. And social media doesn't do that. Only that sort of face-to-face conversation does that. Mm-hmm. And you you had promised that you were going to share networking fail with us, oh, David. Yes, I hadn't my, forgotten. Yeah. My, oh, darn. I was hoping I was hoping maybe Jim's on South Street would... Uh, would uh, nope. Yeah, that's a shame. So my big networking fail, I mean, this was long before I started doing the research for this book. But when I started having to, you know, I knew I, knew I wanted to be a writer. I had the first con- book contract. I'm starting to try and get bigger into this world. Um, and I had a good, a good friend of mine and then a, a, a kind of an acquaintance of mine who was a more – probably is still a more successful author than me, right? And the good friend had a request, and I thought, hey, perfect. Like, oh, I'll connect you two. And so I fire off this perfectly crafted, you know, following all the networking advice books on how to make an introduction. The thing I neglected was I didn't do what's now known as the sort of double opt-in introduction. And so the email I got back from the author friend was essentially like, dude, not cool. You can't just give out my contact information to all of these random people. I'd be inundated with requests, right? I didn't protect, sort of, I didn't give them the chance to opt into the conversation. And so now I still think that connecting people and connecting, connecting people in different parts of your network is one of the most important things you can do, especially most important thing you can do that doesn't involve meeting new strangers. So it's one of the most important networking elements, but it has to be that sort of double opt-in. You give each person the chance to, to uh, say yes to the introduction. And then actually it's even easier to make the in-person introduction because there's less of a brilliant email you have to make. You've already explained to them why they would benefit from connecting with each other. Yeah, and I, I want to point that out because I think it's important to still do it. A lot of people talk themselves out of doing it because they're like, oh, I don't know if so-and-so would want to connect or would it, you know, and, and here's the thing. Don't make the assumption. Just reach out. If somebody says no, okay, fine. They say no, but but do the brokering thing because it's going to, to help you build the network. And especially if you're not somebody who wants to go to these crowded conferences or, you know, be the life of a party, there's some of these things you could be doing behind the scenes that are easy. You could do them at your desk. You could do it at two in the morning if you like. And you can really build your network exponentially just by doing um, an email or an introduction or just reconnecting with a dormant contact. 844 Wharton. Yep. 844-942-7866. Yes, David. I was going to say you're exactly right. Some of my best networking ever happens at like, uh, used to happen at three in the morning when I was feeding an infant, right? They'd wake up in the middle of the night and you get fed, you pull out your phone and you look at certain emails and you go, oh yeah, these people really need to connect with each other. And and this is actually that that rare space to do it. But I think too many of us talk ourselves out of doing it all together because we think it means multiple hours on a Thursday night to go to an event. And really most of it can be done in, you know, 90 seconds, maybe three minutes. It's max on, on your phone or on your computer before you even leave your office. Yeah, which brings me to the question of a lot of people say, I don't have time to do this. And that's the beauty of this, that maybe you don't have time to get in your car or get on public transit and get to an event and spend an evening. But you likely have time to say, hey, once a week, I'm going to send an email to a dormant contact and try and reconnect. Or I'm going to look at whose work anniversaries are on LinkedIn or I'm going to see what other people are doing. And you, yes, you do have to make the time. You have to kind of put it into your schedule or maybe it's the first thing you do in the morning or the last thing you do before you leave work or something you do over lunch. But you can do these things pretty easily. So you have a cookie party. Maybe you do it for two hours on a Tuesday once a year and you invite everybody from the the building to come have a cookie. These things don't necessarily take a lot of time, but they have a lot of payoff. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We should answer our pre-break quiz. Um So according to an article published in the Leadership Quarterly, unleashing your anger in this harmless yet slightly obscure way leads to a better mood, improved cognition, and reduced aggression specifically towards your boss, Dion. I think I got it. All right. Ready. All right. You said it's harmless. It's harmless. Slightly obscure. I don't know how that part works in here. And and you said it's, it's towards your boss. So. Yep. You write the angry email, but you never send it. Ooh. Hey, I like that. Wait a minute. Where's, where's my dame? Yeah. But that's not very obscure. Oh. Yeah, see, I didn't know where, where, what the obscure part would be in there. Pretty yeah. sure. I, I have a hint for you. They did this on an episode of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> 
not make a, a great radio. Hit, of, of which I am a big fan. We should all know. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> does that help you do? Not at all. I can't name one character on Gilligan's Island. Well, there's well, Gilligan. They're, they're in the, they're oh, in the song. That. I yeah. don't know the song. Yeah, true. Don't you know the song? How do you know the song? This is a better question. Why don't you know the Gilligan's Island? I don't song? know the Gilligan's Island. <laughs> All right, I, I guess I guess a hard quiz would be name at least two characters on Gilligan's Island. Yeah, Gilligan. Yep, that's one. <laughs> well, there's the skipper too. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the, so, the millionaire, and his wife. <laughs> The movie star. <laughs> and the rest. No, you skipped two. Oh, uh, the professor? And Marianne. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't know Dion. I do not know him. <laughs> That's how we're ending the show today, That's just it. so you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, Michelle, <laughs> do you have an answer? It's not... It's not it's writing a, an email. No. I'm going to say um, being overly nice. Just that's, overtly nice to everyone. That's such a Michelle answer because you are. You are very I'm nice. I'm really super angry inside. Is, is that helping? <laughs> is that helping? Um, that's not it. Um, Boo. David. Uh, I'm going to go with taking a walk. Ooh. See, that's not obscure either. I mean, maybe. Well, but, but it's obscure in the sense that you removed yourself from the office and no one knows what you're doing. Yeah, no, this is really kind of obscure. All right. All right. <laughs> do so, you do this? Um, no, but I did it because like you there's actually test it out? yeah I did test it out and it was actually <laughs> super fun. Um, okay, so this is what everybody's going to be doing after the show. Unleashing your anger in this harmless way leads to a better mood, improved cognition, and reduced aggression, specifically towards your boss. Well, a team of researchers at the Wilfrid Laurier University discovered that employees who are given the opportunity to stick pins in a voodoo doll of their boss. Because that's not creepy. Yeah, I said it's obscure. It's way creepier. Yeah, I, okay, I didn't say creepy, but... Creepy um, may have been the better word. All right, creepy. Uh, I, my pre-break quizzes, I, I get a lot of criticism on these and how bad they are, but um, <laughs> employees could unleash pent-up frustration. And there's an actual website where you can do this. It's called dumb.com. And I actually did this, and you can name your little voodoo doll, and you can actually stick it with pins. You can burn it with a candle. You can pinch it with a screwdriver. This every, is so messed up. Every time you inflict abuse, he gets sad and upset, and if you have your volume up, you can actually hear him cry. Um, I, I, I don't know. I had the best. I did not do this with my boss, because you can actually pick anybody, and I, I just pick somebody else. But um, yeah, so although it's a bit violent, it actually lowered levels of bitterness and hostility. So, I mean, I think it's a good thing. Dumb.com, exactly how it sounds. D-U-M-B dot com. <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. Yep. That and, and Gilgan's Island. So do you remember that episode, Dion? No. Actually, didn't was, they do that a couple of times? It might have. It might have been multiple episodes. I don't know. Gilgan's Island really liked the voodoo doll. So, hey... <laughs> David, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, love your new book, Friend of a Friend. Once again, where can people reach you? So the, the best place is davidberkus.com, exactly how it sounds, but it's not as easy as dumb, dumb so it's B-U-R-K-U-S. <laughs> Yeah, and that no association. This is I, truly. I, I read a lot of books, and um, obviously, I love networking. But this one, this one is great. <laughs> so, any last pieces of advice, David, for for our listening audience? Oh well, thank you. Um, um, seriously, try gyms, and then again, you don't have a network. You can't grow your network. You already exist inside of one, and it's the best network citizens that become the best networkers. Mm-hmm. Like that. So- so you don't have to go to these big events. You don't have to go to a big party. You can sit at your desk at 2 in the morning and reach out to people, dormant contacts. You can close your structural holes, be a broker. All of these great tips and more in David's book, Friend of a Friend. So, hey, you've been listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 11. I want to thank David. Of course, I want to thank all of our listeners and callers. We're always here for you. This is what our show is all about. And, of course, Michelle and Dion, the Dream Team, and Gilligan's Island for all of the laughs they've given us throughout the year. If you'd like more information, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. You've been listening to Career Talk, Sirius XM Channel 111, and we'll see you next time. 